Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's Monday, May 23rd. I'm Nyla Boudou. Today, what waning homebuilder confidence tells us about the housing market, plus a wild weekend of weather with deadly consequences. But first, today's one big thing, how the war in Ukraine is breaking families. The shell landed on the next street from them, and more than 17 people died and much more were injured. When the soldier suffers and dies, it is sad, but it is a part of his job. When it happens to a a civilian, that's insane. Those are the voices of a soldier and a journalist who've been at the heart of the conflict between Ukraine and Russia. Ukrainian Corporal Andriy Shadrin and news producer Katerina Maliofieva are both based in the Donbass, a region that's been partially controlled by pro-Russian separatists since 2014. Axios' Dave Lawler reports for the latest episode of How It Happened, Putin's Invasion, that the battle for the Donbass is critical to the outcome of this war. And in the meantime, Andrei and Katerina's families are being torn apart. I sat down with Dave in Washington, D.C. recently and asked him how he found Andrew's story. We really wanted to access this place, but it's a hard place to reach. And, you know, we sort of, friend of a friend, found our way to this guy who's not only on the front lines in the Donbass, he's actually from Crimea, which is another part of Ukraine that Russia moved into back in 2014. And he's actually been fighting this war for eight years. So he knows the place as a soldier. And right now, you know, he's facing some of the heaviest bombardments, the heaviest fighting uh, of any of the Ukrainian soldiers. The thing that really stuck with me was how this war has separated his family. Uh, His parents are Russian nationals living in Crimea. They are on the other side of this war, and they think that he's been brainwashed to fight on the Ukrainian side. Unfortunately, that is a massive disconnect because I am a Nazi for them. And I'm brainwashed with the propaganda and I I haven't heard it personally, but it was between the lines in the dialogues I tried to keep on with them. So that is an incredibly difficult thing to carry with you as you're fighting this war. He's not in touch with his parents. Dave, how have Andre and his family moved so far apart on their views on this war? Crimea is a part of Ukraine that has a lot of Russian nationals. It's where the Russian language uh, is quite heavily spoken. Russian media is really a very dominant source of news there. And so when Russia moved in to his hometown uh, and to the peninsula where he lives and claimed it as part of Russia, that's something that his parents were happy to accept. But him as someone who wanted to be a European, who saw Ukraine as a strong, independent country, wanted democracy in his country, uh, he felt very differently about that, obviously to the extent that he decided to fight in a war against the Russians. He enlisted in the military, fighting against the country that his parents really feel like they're part of. And so uh, they're very much on opposite sides of this war. For a while, he was texting them once a week to say he was still alive. He told us those Texts have stopped at this point. Um, So it's really quite a tragic situation. But I think it tells us a bit about what this war has done to this country. The other person you spoke to is news producer Katerina Meliofieva. She also has had a very big rift with her family because of the war. Yeah, and this is a physical separation. So she's from Donetsk, which is in the Donbass, but it's also in the area that's been controlled by pro-Russian separatists since 2014. So she stayed for two years, but eventually she moved to Kiev. 
And since that time, she's been separated physically from her family. And unfortunately, her mother passed away just a couple of weeks ago, and her father is still living there in Donetsk, in a Russian-controlled part of the Donbass. She's able to speak with him a couple times a week. It's not easy, but they're still in touch. But definitely the physical disconnect that this war has wrought between her and her family has also taken quite a toll. And then the other toll for Katerina is her family that's in Russia. Let's hear how that's affected her. None of my relatives expressed any condolences to me. When I lost somebody who who was the most important person for me, my mom, they didn't even dare like to send me a message and say, Katya, we are sorry for your loss. So I blame them for that and I blame the propaganda for, for, for this. She's in the easternmost part of Ukraine, but most of her family is across the border in Russia. The distance is not that vast, but obviously in the scheme of this war, it's quite a vast you know, gap between the two of them. And you can kind of think about you know, how many families, not only are they on two different sides of the front lines, but also two different lines of the information environment here, right? They're getting very different narratives about who's responsible for this war. Both think that there are war criminals here, but they both blame the other side. And yeah, I think we can think about Andre's story, Katerina's story, and then think about how many other families are affected in similar ways across Ukraine and, and Russia as well. Dave Lawler is the world editor for Axios, and he's host of this season of How It Happened. He and Naomi Shaven did the reporting for this latest episode. It's called The Fight for the Donbass, and you can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Nell. In the moment, we're back with an update on the real estate market in the U.S. Welcome back to Axios Today. I'm Nyla Boodoo. An economy story you may have missed last week. Confidence among home builders is almost at a two-year low. So why does that matter? It's another sign of the real estate market cooling as mortgage rates rise. Axios's Matt Phillips writes the Daily Markets newsletter and is here with me in Washington, D.C. to talk about this. Hey, Matt. Hi. First, can you explain what home builder sentiment looks like now? Sure. It's fallen sharply in the last month, and it's down for about five months in a row. It's not at cataclysmic levels or anything. And we're talking about sentiment. So what effect does that actually have on the home market? Well, there's kind of a feedback loop at play. It's almost more the other way. So as rates have gone up, that makes housing less affordable and effectively shrinks the pool of potential buyers that are out there. So if you're a home builder, you look at that and say, well, that's not good news for me. At some point over the next year, I'm going to see fewer people walking through the door. That's because the cost of owning a home has gone up. Do we know exactly how much? Well, I don't have the dollar figure, but we do know that mortgage rates have jumped from about 3% to about five and a quarter, you know, in the last couple months. It's a really sharp move. And, you know, that alone will add hundreds of dollars to your monthly payment easily. What else do we know about how the Fed's actions on raising interest rates have slowed what has been a pretty red hot housing market? It has been really hot, but there is some anecdotal evidence that houses are staying on the market a little bit longer. We're maybe not seeing quite the frenzied bidding wars that we're seeing two, three months ago. So there's early indications that it is having an impact, you know, as as it's supposed to. I mean, this is an intentional thing the Fed is trying to do. They're trying to slow slow this runaway romp in, in housing prices. Matt Phillips writes the Markets Newsletter for Axios. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. 
three more stories from this weekend. Anthony Albanese was sworn in yesterday as Australia's 31st prime minister. The surprise win marks just the fourth time a Labour leader ousted a Liberal prime minister since World War II. In his victory speech, Albanese promised to make combating climate change a priority, something his opponent, Scott Morrison, had rejected. This Australian commitment to climate-conscious politics came as extreme weather spread throughout North America this weekend. In Canada, at least five people died after severe thunderstorms with winds more than 80 miles an hour cut through parts of Quebec and Ontario Saturday. Hundreds of thousands more lost power throughout the weekend. And millions of Americans saw hazardous weather conditions from heavy snow in Colorado and southern Wyoming to potentially record-breaking heat in the Northeast. Finally, the CDC and health officials in Florida are investigating a potential case of monkeypox in the state. At least two other cases have been confirmed in New York City and Massachusetts. Though experts have said it would not likely cause a global pandemic like COVID-19, President Biden Sunday said the spread of the virus to at least 12 countries is something people should be, quote, concerned about. We'll update you on this outbreak as we learn more. That's it for us today. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And we'll see you back here tomorrow morning. Each week on the podcast, HBR IdeaCast, Harvard Business Review editors discuss the best business ideas with the world's leading minds in management. It's like getting an MBA by listening. Get Harvard Business Review's flagship podcast, HBR IdeaCast, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.